Hi, this is Brad Westwood, Senior Public Historian for the Utah Department of Heritage and Arts. My speaker today is Dr. Tom Alexander, Professor of History, retired emeritus from BYU, author of 27 books now, incredible amount of work, including histories related to Salt Lake City, uh, the official centennial history for Utah at its 100th anniversary was written by Tom. A good deal of thought and scholarship has gone into the writings of Dr. Alexander. It's my pleasure to have him here today. Hello, Tom. Hi. Good to be here. So in the previous session, we were talking about the 1850s for Brigham Young, a tough time for him. Uh, and we wanted to sort out just how things happened that relate to the Utah expedition of 1857. Well, you remember I spoke about the various letters and complaints that were sent back to Washington. President Buchanan, shortly after he was inaugurated in March of uh, 1857, decided that the Latter-day Saints were in what he called substantial rebellion against the authority of the United States. Judge Drummond had suggested in one of his letters uh, that an army would be necessary to put down this rebellion. Buchanan apparently agreed with him, and so he mustered in one-third of the whole United States Army to come out to uh, Utah and to escort uh, a new group of officials uh, to Utah. Some of them got along very well with the Mormons. Uh, others uh, did not. But the problem was uh, Brigham Young hated armies. Uh, he'd had the experience with armies in Missouri and in Illinois. He didn't participate in the Mormon-Missouri War, but he had to suffer the consequences of that because he was in charge of leading the Latter-day Saint refugees uh, east uh, from the far west area in Missouri into Illinois. His wife, Marianne Angel Young, said that you could mark the passage of those people from Missouri to Illinois by the blood on their footprints on the ground. It was extremely difficult for him. He faced the same thing in Illinois. Governor Ford had promised to protect Joseph and Hiram Smith. Uh, he didn't do that. There were informal militias there that fought against the Mormons and uh, drove them out. It was a militia unit that killed Joseph and Hiram Smith. Brigham Young saw the problems, the conflicts that took place in 1854-55 with Steptoe's uh, soldiers. Even though Steptoe himself wasn't involved in them, uh, the soldiers were. A number of soldiers who were in the army coming to Utah said that their intention was to kill the Mormons, including General Johnston's adjutant. It was, for Brigham Young, something that was virtually intolerable. 
Now, what he did was illegal. There's no question about that. Uh, sending uh, troops out uh, to burn the wagon trains was certainly illegal. Issuing uh, and that, that really started the conflict, did it not? Uh, when he, when Brigham Young actually had uh, uh, these. Uh, 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 going out and destroying the trains of material. I mean, that was an act of war on the It was an government. act of war on the part of the, uh, the Latter-day Saints. And I would uh, date the rebellion from that activity. Usually we date the rebellion of the South, uh, not from the resolutions that were passed in the various state legislatures, but from the attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina. And I think the same thing's true of the Utah War. Well, fortunately, the Army didn't get into Utah in 1857. Uh, they had to stop at Fort Bridger. Brigham Young was uh, preparing for them, but they could easily have uh, gotten into Utah. They didn't have to come down Echo Canyon. They could have gone north around the Bear River, uh, Soda Springs, and come in uh, with very little difficulty because that's not a narrow defile uh, the way Echo Canyon is. Let me ask you about I, I was on uh, the trail of Echo Canyon actually related to the Transcontinental Railroad, which of course is the same route, but I was looking at the defenses uh, and the uh, the topography and how it was to be used. What stunned me as I read some accounts there on site was being or the the uh, Mormon um, uh, uh, resistance or militia was told you're gonna you're gonna do everything you can to to uh, stop, burn, prevent, but if necessary, shoot, kill. Yes, had uh, that in a counterfactual way, Tom. If that had happened. Wow, what a what an interesting. Well, it event. would have been would have open been. warfare, and the United States Army certainly could have defeated the uh, Latter Day Saints. They could have flanked them uh, through the the Bear River route. It would have been horrible, and a number of the officers were willing to kill Latter Day Saints. They thought that was the best thing that they could. Do uh, for the United States. We were extremely fortunate that Thomas L. King came in and that he was able to uh, negotiate an agreement bringing uh, Governor Alfred Cumming into Salt Lake City. This is the so-called friend of the Latter-day Saints and who was an advisor to Brigham Young and lived in uh, outside of Philadelphia, uh, part of a large uh, uh, Pennsylvania family. A prominent family Took in Pennsylvania. Took interest in the Latter-day Saints, uh, wrote various pamphlets. Um, so just to give a little context to who this sure. man is. Uh, he was a friend of the Latter-day Saints. He'd contacted them first in Illinois uh, when they were in all kinds of the difficulty there. And he wrote a talk that he gave uh, to the uh, Pennsylvania Historical Society about the uh, Latter-day Saints. Sort of a thrill for me in, in uh, 1990 to be at the Pennsylvania Historical Society reading the first printed pamphlet of that. That was kind of interesting going all the way across the country and capturing Utah's 
permeates the nation. I mean, the Mormon question was such a big deal in the 19th century. Well, what he did was to go to New Orleans and then cross the Isthmus of Panama and come into Utah by the southern route. A number of women helped him uh, get along into uh, Utah. And several other Latter-day Saint leaders Amos Lyman helped him come in, and when he met with Brigham Young, Brigham Young was wondering really whether he ought to encourage Cain to go back to Fort Bridger and see about the governor coming to Utah. But finally he concluded that was really the best thing that uh, could happen. Well, it worked out well. Cain was able to bring Governor Cumming into Salt Lake City. He negotiated with the Latter-day Saints. The new replacing governor for Brigham Young. Yes, position. he was replacing Brigham Young as uh, as governor of, uh, of Utah Territory. And then, of course, the, the regular officials... Uh, came into uh, to Utah with a proclamation of amnesty uh, for the Latter-day Saints. Uh, they had no authority to negotiate with them. Uh, they simply gave them the amnesty proclamation, and any of them who agreed to accept it uh, would uh, be free from uh, prosecution. Uh, Brigham Young said, that he really hadn't done anything wrong, but if somebody from the moon came and offered him a pardon for kicking him on the moon the day before, he would accept the pardon. <laughs> you know, it just lays bare how fascinating history is, how it allows us today to think about the conflicts and issues and um, the, the the play out this pageant of human behavior. Um, uh, Brigham Young con not conceding of the federal government seeing that they somehow were, you know, this whole continent was going to be federal, it was going to be the nations, and we all had to work together. Um, let me take a moment. Uh, do you want to say something more about the war? Anything else before I go on? Well, I don't think so. Uh, it was fairly well uh, solved by the amnesty proclamation that was uh, that was negotiator well that was given to the mormons they had to either accept it or reject it and they accepted it sometimes we've seen the view that this was the first civil war how do you see that well no of course it wasn't uh, there was shays rebellion in massachusetts and uh, one that is often forgotten, the Whiskey Rebellion in Pennsylvania. George Washington, who was president of the United States, actually led 15,000 soldiers against the uh, Whiskey re Rebels. Uh, they uh, stopped a tax collector from collecting taxes in uh, western Pennsylvania on uh, whiskey, and a number of them were captured. Uh, they were later pardoned, but uh, yes, that that rebellion particularly bothered Washington because it was a rebellion against federal authority, the same as the Utah Rebellion was. But that took place in the 1790s, not uh, in the 19th century. Uh, Tom, I'd like to ask about uh, Brigham Young personally. Um, 
he was um, incredibly capable, strong-willed, um, could be at times petty. Um, how do you see this man's life today as you would describe, or would you please describe for us just who is the man Brigham Young? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that Brigham Young was extremely complex. His views on a number of things changed over time. He became more mellow, I think, particularly during the 1860s and the early 1870s. In 1856 and 57, he preached blood atonement. This is the idea. One the idea that if you'd com committed murder or adultery, you had your endowments, uh, you should offer yourself to be killed. For some reason, Brigham Young believed then uh, that the atonement of Jesus Christ didn't cover all sins. I find that difficult to understand. Uh, the Book of Mormon says that Christ's atonement was infinite. I wonder what infinite means if it doesn't cover those sins uh, as well. Well, Brigham Young's views on that seems to have changed over time. After 1857, he didn't preach blood atonement uh, any longer, and he uh, talked about people repenting. He gave a number of sermons about that. You can read about them or the text of some of those sermons in the, in the book. The other thing that Brigham Young believed is that if you hadn't qualified for exaltation, uh, salvation uh, here on the earth, you might have to be trained in the afterlife. Uh, the, he saw the spirit world as kind of a school for people uh, to help them prepare to go and live with God and Jesus Christ. Now, this is controversial in the church today. I don't know which doctrines are right, but that's what Brigham Young believed. He also took issue with Moses and the, uh, the Pentateuch. He thought that Moses had... Uh, picked things that were necessary to understand the, uh, the history, and he thought uh, the earth may be millions of years old. He said he wasn't sure about that. He didn't really know how uh, old it was. So in some ways, uh, his views were uh, quite forward-looking. Uh, he also thought that God continued to gain knowledge that he didn't know everything to begin with. He would have disagreed with uh, Latter-day Saints who believed that God was omniscient to begin with. He thought that he continued to, uh, to learn things. Again, I don't know whether he's right or not, but uh, that was his view. Let's talk about Brigham Young as a theocrat, as someone who was the leader of this major geographical area in the West. How would that have influenced uh, leaders down the organizational chain? 
one of the things that we need to understand is that the church leadership operated quite differently in the 19th century than it does today. Uh, Today, most of the church leadership lives in the area around Salt Lake City, except those who were assigned uh, in regional places in various areas presidency. But you look at the 19th century and uh, Brigham Young and the church leadership sent leaders to various places to lead the community. Orson Hyde, for instance, was a leader in Sanpete County, Charles C. Rich in the Bear Lake area, Erastus Snow in St. George, Franklin D. Richards in Ogden, Azertaf Benson in Logan, Erastus Snow in Brigham City. That's something that we wouldn't see today. And they were somewhat autonomous or were able to execute their own kind of leadership or theocracy in a sense, as he did above. Yes, definitely, because in the 19th century, communication generally was not as instantaneous as it is today. Now, that changed somewhat after the introduction of the telegraph in 1861, but still, you couldn't telegraph about everything. And uh, these local leaders had a great deal of autonomy in the way they conducted the affairs in those areas. And uh, they were, in a sense, uh, little theocrats. Uh, They were all members, though, of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, uh, which, after the First Presidency, uh, was the uh, principal leadership in the church, and still is. I uh, I have to say, with Brigham Young and his his lifetime, there was— uh, a, a kind of this idea that if you were the leader of your organization, of your ward, you were, you had a certain amount of theocratic control. I mean, we talk of Brigham Young as if he was a kind of a, I don't know, a theocrat, someone who says this is how it's going to go. But that kind of permeated the whole organization, which I think has an effect on Utah in relationship to the rest of the nation. Yes, but you need to understand also that local leaders and some local officials pushed back against Brigham Young. After 1852, Brigham Young's policy with respect to Indians uh, was the idea of being conciliatory toward the Indians. And he invited them to come and settle near the settlements. Uh, um, you know, that gives me another uh, break here to to ask you. Um, often the 19th century uh, Native American saw the Mormons somewhat different than the rest of the nation. Uh, the Mormony, as they called it, uh, compared to the, um, the Maricats. Could, could you tell, tell us a little bit more about the Native American experience in Brigham Young? Well, The problem that Brigham Young had, and it was a serious problem, is that he was conducting two policies that were contradictory. In the first place, he sent settlers out to settle on Indian lands. That immediately disrupted the Indian economy. Garland Hurt was right about that. That's exactly what, uh, what happened. But in the second place, he wanted to incorporate the Indians into the Mormon community. And that's the reason he encouraged them to live near Mormon settlements. He sent out a number of letters 
chastising local leaders when they conducted military campaigns against the Indians. He wanted instead uh, to have them conduct a policy of defense and conciliation. And he wasn't successful entirely in this. Uh, eventually, most of the Indians, except the uh, Paiutes, uh, some of the Shoshones, and the uh, Goshutes, uh, had to leave and move uh, to reservations. The, the Utes, particularly the largest uh, group in central Utah, uh, had to move to the Uinanore Reservation. And that uh, preceding that was the uh, Black Hawk War. The Black Hawk War was, it was terrible. It was a horrible thing. It, it caused the abandonment of most of the settlements in uh, southern Utah. Uh, partly at Brigham Young's orders because he wanted to uh, try to stop the fighting. And it led to the death of Sandpitch, who had been a friend of the, uh, the Latter-day Saints, and conflicts with uh, a number of the other Utes. Blackhawk was successful in getting uh, Shoshones and Paiutes and Goshutes and even Navajos who didn't belong to and the same language. Hopi, uh, almost a kind of a regional pan-Indian effort to... To, to fight against the Mormons. Uh, and the reason for the Black Hawk War was essentially a problem that the Latter-day Saints had had down to that time, that is starvation. They'd had uh, difficulties and they... What the Black Hawk War was about uh, was the effort of the Indians to raid and capture cattle so they'd have something to, to eat. To survive. To survive. Well, it, it seems like a, a story as we look back in this 21st century, um, uh, it was very much like the rest of the United States. Inevitably, as much as the Mormons tried hard to to be at peace and presumably thinking they were going to convert them and they were all going to live happily together. Of course, that did not happen. And in the end, the placing in reservation occurred in Utah just as it did anywhere else in the West. Uh, that's true to some degree. Uh, in some cases, it did work. Uh, they got along fairly well with the Paiutes, for instance, and with some Shoshones. Uh, Sagwich, for instance, was converted to the uh, church by George Hill, and uh, he and 102 of his people were baptized all in one day. Uh, they lived together with the Latter-day Saints in Box Elder County. Uh, that's one area where it succeeded. But uh, by and large, the uh, Latter-day Saints were not successful in uh, converting large numbers of uh, Indians, and there were serious conflicts with them. Well, and as we look now, it truly was a, a colonial settlement sort of thing, a takeover of what was Native American sovereign land. Yes, uh, that that's essentially what happened. Uh, Tom, as we close this, and I th so much appreciate you coming and doing this podcast, uh, it... Uh, it's just so, uh, I'm so grateful to you. Uh, I'd see you as one of Utah's premier historians. And well, that's kind of you to I, say, Brad. <laughs> it, uh, tell me a little bit about Brigham Young in the last years of his life, his family. I mean, here's a man with, what, 56 children, 
how many wives? 55 20, wives. <laughs> 55 wives. T- talk about the family man, Brigham Young, as we close out this session. Well, he liked to have a, a gathering of his family each evening at the Lion House. He gave a, a sermon. They met together. Uh, they had prayers together. They had uh, games together. Uh, he had his own school for the uh, children there. They went from 9 to 4 in the afternoon with two one-hour recesses. Uh, they uh, ate together, at least those who were in Salt Lake City, and uh, all of them weren't. Uh, Brigham Young was quite progressive in some of his ideas. Uh, he had uh, some of his wives run uh, businesses uh, for him. He was not well-educated himself. He said that he only had about 11 days of schooling in his life, but he wanted his children all to be educated. Uh, he had uh, sons that went to West Point, uh, to the Naval Academy, to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Uh, he sent a couple of his daughters to Massachusetts to a finning, uh, finishing school. Uh, he expected his uh, wives to work independently. And uh, he wanted, to some degree, uh, to overcome the attitude that women were second-class citizens. Uh, He preached that men had to be kind to their wives. Uh, He supported the idea in 1870 of women receiving the vote. Uh, There are some people who have said, well, he wanted to do that because he expected the the women to support his community, but he really expected them to work together within the community and supported the idea of giving women the vote. Well, uh, I, I think his personal life is explored wonderfully in your book, and uh, I'd like to say again, uh, Tom's latest book, Brigham Young and the Expansion of the Mormon Faith is available to you by any bookstore. We urge you to go to your uh, independent book dealer here in Utah or uh, online to purchase this copy. Uh, This is uh, Speak Your Peace, uh, a podcast where writers, historians, contributors to Utah's history share their insights and discoveries about Utah's history. If you're leaving us, we thank you. We hope you'll tune in again to the next podcast. I'm grateful for my uh, uh, guest, uh, Tom Alexander. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Brad.